Welcome back. I'm Logan, your host for the Daily Bible Reading Podcast, where we are journeying through the Bible chronologically, taking it one day at a time. Today is day number 63. It's the end of our ninth week together. And even if it's taken you 100 days to get to 63, I'm glad you're with me. Today, we're going to be looking at Numbers, chapter 21 and 22, and we get to see some very interesting stories as we go along. So I'm excited. This is my favorite section of the book of Numbers. So let's pray as we get started. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. God, we thank you that you allow us to open up your word and to study Thank you for revealing yourself to us. God, I pray that today as we read through this challenging section of Scripture, that you would show us that you are God above all, that you are King of the universe, and that we can trust you. We can trust your word because you have never failed us. God, set aside the distractions that are around us right now, uh, whether you know, we are sitting in our car or in our office and there's kids outside the door or whatever it may be. Lord, allow us supernaturally to focus in on your word, to hear the message that you have for us. Your Holy Spirit can speak to our hearts. Do that today as we seek your face. God, I pray that you would open our eyes to see goodness and truth and beauty in your word. Specifically, I want to see Jesus Christ unveiled on the pages of scripture today. God, I pray that you would help me to worship you and you alone, to set aside all of the idols, all of the good things that I love, that I turn into God things. Help me to stop that. Help me to use those good things and through them come to you in thankfulness for them, but not worship them. Because when I do that, I strip them of anything good in them and turn them into an idol. Finally, God, I ask that you would do all of these things for my good pleasure and for your unending glory. God, you are most glorified in me when I am most satisfied in you, as John Piper says. Help me to be fully and lastingly satisfied in you. Help me through your word to see Jesus as the reward and satisfaction for my weary soul. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. let's go ahead and get into Numbers chapter 21 and 22. Hope you've got your Bible out. Let's go. Chapter 21. When the Canaanite, the king of Arad, who lived in the Negev, heard that Israel was coming by the way of Atharim, he fought against Israel and took some of them captive. And Israel vowed a vow to the Lord and said, If you will indeed give this people into my hand, then I will devote their cities to destruction. And the Lord heeded the voice of Israel and gave over the Canaanites, and they devoted them and their cities to destruction. 
so the name of the place was called Hormah. From Mount Hor, they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. From Mount Hor, they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom, and the people became impatient on the way, and the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, so that many people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole, and if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. And the people of Israel set out and camped in Oboth, and they set out from Oboth and camped at Ai Abarim in the wilderness that is opposite Moab toward the sunrise. From there they set out and camped in the valley of Zered. From there they set out and camped on the other side of the Arnon, which is in the wilderness that extends from the border of the Amorites. For the Arnon is the border of Moab, between Moab and the Amorites. Therefore it is said in the book of the wars of the Lord, Wahev in Sufa and the valleys of the Arnon, and the slopes of the valleys that extend to the seat of Ar, and leans to the border of Moab. And from there they continued to Be'er, that is, the well of which the Lord said to Moses, Gather the people together, so that I may give them water. Then Israel sang this song, Spring up, O well, sing to it, the well that the princes made, that the nobles of the people dug, with the scepter and with their staffs. And from the wilderness they went on to Matanah, and from Matanah to Nahaliel, and from Nahaliel to Bamoth, and from Bamoth to the valley lying in the region of Moab by the top of Pisgah that looks down on the desert. Then Israel sent messengers to Shihon, king of the Amorites, saying, Let me pass through your land. We will not turn aside into field or vineyard. We will not drink the water of a well. We will go by the king's highway until we have passed through your territory. But Shihon would not allow Israel to pass through his territory. He gathered all his people together and went out against Israel to the wilderness and came to Jahaz and fought against Israel. And Israel defeated him with the edge of the sword and took possession of his land from the Arnon to the Jabbok as far as to the Ammonites, for the border of the Ammonites was strong. And Israel took all these cities, and Israel settled in all the cities of the Amorites in Heshbon and in all its villages, for Heshbon was the city of Shihon, the king of the Amorites, who had fought against the former king of Moab and taken all his land out of his hand as far as the Arnon. Therefore the ballad singers say, Come to Heshbon, let it be built, let the city of Shihon be established. For fire came out from Heshbon, flame from the city of Shihon. It devoured Ar of Moab and swallowed the heights of the Arnon. Woe to you, O Moab! You are undone, O people of Chemosh. He has made his sons fugitives and his daughters captives to an Amorite king, Shihon. So we overthrew them, Heshbon as far as Debon perished, and we laid waste as far as Nopha. 
fire spread as far as Medeba. Thus, Israel lived in the land of the Amorites, and Moses sent to spy out Jazer, and they captured its villages and dispossessed the Amorites who were there. Then they turned and went up by the way to Bashan, and Og, the king of Bashan, came out against them, he and all his people, to battle at Edrei. But the Lord said to Moses, Do not fear him, for I have given him into your hand, and all his people, and his land, and you shall do to him as you did to Shihon, king of the Amorites, who lived at Heshbon. So they defeated him, and his sons, and all his people, until he had no survivor left, and they possessed his land. Chapter 22 Then the people of Israel set out, and camped in the plains of Moab, beyond the Jordan, at Jericho. And Balak, the son of Zippor, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites. And Moab was in great dread of the people, because they were many. Moab was overcome with fear of the people of Israel. And Moab said to the elders of Midian, This horde will now lick up all that is around us, as the ox licks up the grass of the field. So Balak, the son of Zippor, who was king of Moab at the time, sent messengers to Balaam, the son of Beor, at Pethor, which is near the river in the land of the people of Ammah, to call him, saying, Behold, a people has come out of Egypt. They cover the face of the earth, and they are dwelling opposite me. Come now, curse this people for me, since they are too mighty for me. Perhaps I shall be able to defeat them and drive them from the land. For I know that he whom you bless is blessed, and he whom you curse is cursed. So the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed with the fees for divination in their hand, and they came to Balaam and gave him Balak's message. And he said to them, Lodge here tonight, and I will bring back word to you, as the Lord speaks to me. So the princes of Moab stayed with Balaam, and God came to Balaam and said, Who are these men with you? And Balaam said to God, Balak the son of Zippor, king of Moab, has sent to me, saying, Behold, a people has come out of Egypt, and it covers the face of the earth. Now come, curse them for me. Perhaps I shall be able to fight against them and drive them out. God said to Balaam, You shall not go with them. You shall not curse the people, for they are blessed. So Balaam rose in the morning and said to the princes of Balak, Go to your own land for the Lord has refused to let me go with you. So the princes of Moab rose and went to Balak and said, Balaam refuses to come with us. Once again, Balak sent princes, more in number and more honorable than these. And they came to Balaam and said to him, Thus says Balak, the son of Zippor, Let nothing hinder you from coming to me, for I will surely do you great honor, and whatever you say to me, I will do. Come, Curse this people for me. But Balaam answered and said to the servants of Balak, Though Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, I could not go beyond the command of the Lord my God to do less or more. So you, too, please stay here tonight, that I may know what more the Lord will say to me. And God came to Balaam at night and said to him, If the men have come to call you, rise, go with them but only do what I tell you. So Balaam rose in the morning and saddled his donkey and went with the princes of Moab. But God's anger was kindled because he went. 
and the angel of the Lord took his stand in the way as his adversary. Now he was riding on the donkey, and his two servants were with him. And the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand. And the donkey turned aside out of the road and went into the field. And Balaam struck the donkey to turn her into the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path between the vineyards with a wall on either side. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pushed against the wall and pressed Balaam's foot against the wall. So he struck her again. Then the angel of the Lord went ahead and stood in a narrow place where there was no way to turn, either to the right or to the left. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she lay down under Balaam, and Balaam's anger was kindled, and he struck the donkey with his staff. Then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey, and she said to Balaam, What have I done to you, that you have struck me these three times? And Balaam said to the donkey, because you have made a fool of me. I wish I had a sword in my hand, for then I would kill you. And the donkey said to Balaam, Am I not your donkey, on which you have ridden all your life long to this day? Is it my habit to treat you this way? And he said, No. Then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way, with his drawn sword in his hand. And he bowed down and fell on his face. And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why have you struck your donkey these three times? Behold, I have come out to oppose you, because your way is perverse before me. The donkey saw me and turned aside before me these three times. If she had not turned aside from me, surely just now I would have killed you and let her live. Then Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned for I did not know that you stood in the road against me. Now, therefore, if it is evil in your sight, I will turn back. And the angel of the Lord said to Balaam, Go with the men, but speak only the word that I tell you. So Balaam went on with the princes of Balak. When Balak heard that Balaam had come, he went out to meet him at the city of Moab, on the corner formed by the Arnon at the extremity of the border. And Balak said to Balaam, Did I not send to you or call you? Why did you not come to me? Am I not able to honor you? Balaam said to Balak, Behold, I have come to you. Have I now any power of my own to speak anything? The word that God puts in my mouth, that I must speak. Then Balaam went with Balak, and they came to Kiriath-Huzoth. And Balak sacrificed oxen and sheep and sent for Balaam, and for the princes who were with him. And in the morning Balak took Balaam, and brought him up to Bamoth Baal, and from there he saw a fraction of the people. In yesterday's reading in chapter 20, we saw that the king of Edom had refused to give passage to the Israelites to head into the promised land from the south of the promised land. Uh, so, if you can set a picture in your mind, imagine the Dead Sea that's on the eastern edge of Israel. If you make a circle around the Dead Sea, going from the bottom side, the south side, and then up around the eastern side of it, you have Edom, 
that refused them passage, but then going north from Edom and up around the Dead Sea through the wilderness, you would have encountered Moab. Moab was another large force that we're going to see come into play today. But what happened is in our reading today, we see that the Israelites come up and travel all the way around Moab and go to the northern point where we see Ammon and we see the Amorites and we see Bashan. Uh, These are on the northern side of the Dead Sea along the Jordan River heading up towards the Sea of Galilee. So it would probably do you good to get this laid out on a map. I will put a link to um, a picture of what this kind of layout of the land would have looked like just so you can kind of get a sense of where the people are during this. And during this time, there are lots of moves going on. If you read here in chapter 21, you see how they set out and camp and set out and camp and set out and camp continually at so many different places. Remember, the Israelites are still living in their tents and God is dwelling in the tabernacle. The tabernacle is being picked up, moved every day or a few days as they are making these journeys. Uh, They are not staying in these places a long time. They're not camping for a year and then moving out. This is a journey towards the promised land. And now they are zeroing in on the time to go in. There's still a handful of rebels that are left within the community that need to be dealt with. Well, and we see that here in chapter 21. Uh, there, while they're going on from Mount Hor and they're coming around the, uh, around the land of Edom, people start to get impatient and they start to grumble, not just against Moses, but against God. And they don't even go to Moses or to God with their complaints. They're just grumbling and whining. Um, they're not even talking to the people that can actually do something about their issues. And so uh, God is not happy with them. They are spoiled children at this point. And so he sends fiery serpents into the camp uh, to bite them and, and many of them die. And we don't know what exactly what these fiery serpents were. Uh, they could have just been serpents that when they bit caused fiery pain, uh, could have been bright red. Who knows? Uh, lots of different things this could have been. I think Anytime we're seeing a snake in the Bible, we ought to kind of connect it to sin. Uh, We can go back to Genesis and see the serpent who was more crafty than any of the other animals of the field. And what did he entice the people to do? He advises them into sinning. So the people are plagued with this snake of sin. But God makes a way for them to get out of the pain and the difficulty and the death that sin is causing. He tells Moses to craft a bronze serpent. A lot of people go, well, what is up with this bronze serpent? Is this an idol? It is a craftsmanship. This is a a sculpture of a serpent, and it is lifted up on a pole. But nobody is making sacrifices to this as a god. They are simply looking to it as a reminder of the grace and mercy of Yahweh. And so, is this an idol? No, not in this circumstance. It's not. But it will become one. If you flip over to 2 Kings chapter 18, verse 4, we see where Hezekiah there is tearing down uh, the idols. And one of the idols that he's tearing down is this very snake uh, that they held on to for all of these years, and they have turned it into an idol. Well, there... 
in that passage in Second Kings, Hezekiah calls it a nehushtan, which is just a piece of brass. He essentially brings it bound down to earth and says that this is just a piece of brass. It is nothing special. It's not a god. Okay, quit worshiping it. And they break it into pieces uh, and remove it from the camp. So can a good thing become an idol? Of course it can. You see this in your own life and so do I. Good things, whether it be our family or our marriage uh, or our job, which are good things, blessings from God, can easily turn into idols if we let them. Jesus himself even uses this picture. Uh, He references back to this little obscure story here in Numbers chapter 21. But in John chapter 3 verse 14, he said, Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. He compares himself to the serpent that is lifted up in the desert. Later on in John chapter 12, he says, And if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to myself. Again, making an, an illusion, a comparison to this lifting up of the serpent in the wilderness. And so, as we see the people being plagued by sin, sin is lifted up on the pole and sin becomes a curse. Jesus cursed the curse. Jesus put the death to death, and through his death, we have life. So as we move on and the people get a little bit closer to the Jordan River, they get up to the Amorites. And here when they approach the Amorites, they ask the king of the Amorites the same thing that they asked the king of Edom, whether they could travel through their land. They said, hey, we're not going to travel one side or the other. We're just going to go straight through, traveling on the highway. And Shihon, just like the king of Edom, said no. Nope, you're not going to do it. I'm not going to let you do it. I'm going to come out and meet you with force if you try. Well, in this case, the Israelites went out into battle, and the Israelites defeated the Amorites here. And this is a huge event because they defeated the kings of Amorites. And if you look in verse 26 of chapter 21, it says, For Heshbon was the city of Shihon, the king of the Amorites. So that was their capital city. And this king of the Amorites, Shihon, had fought against the former king of Moab and had taken all his land out of his hand as far as the Ammon. So Moab had previously been defeated by the Amorites. And here comes this group of ragtag, nomadic (laughs) Israelites, and they come and beat the Amorites So you can see pretty quickly that this is going to cause an issue with the Moabites. They're going to have a question about, ooh, who are these guys? Are we needing to be worried about them? Maybe we ought to go out and meet them in battle. Meanwhile, the reputation of the Israelites continues to grow, and Israel's living happily in the land of the Amorites, but they start looking to the north, and they say, This land of Bashan up here to the north near the Sea of Galilee is an awful nice land as well. This would all be in modern day Jordan, by the way. And God blesses it. He says, don't be afraid. He says, don't fear. I've given him, meaning Og, the king of Bashan, I've given him into your hand and all his people and his land. And you'll do to him just as you did to Sihon, the king of the Amorites. And so they defeated him. 
And so here, just in chapter 21, we see the Israelites making pretty quick work of three different people groups as they travel through this region, uh, into the Negev, up to the Amorites, and then now to Bashan. They are taking the northern part of the kingdom pretty quickly here and finding a place that they can actually settle down. Recognize that the Israelites are a nomadic people at this point. They are nearly two million people that are wandering through the wilderness. And again, wandering not aimlessly, but purposefully looking for a place to settle. These, this is a refugee camp on wheels. They have been sent out of Egypt. They are fleeing from uh, a slave state looking for a place to find home. And they're getting turned away at every turn from other places. But they need to be able to find a place to settle down their animals, to build houses, to grow. And so even if God was not with them, we would expect this kind of thing to happen. You know, wars happen over land and resources. That's just a way of life. And here, especially in an area where resources are particularly tight, And so God is exacting judgment on the people that are currently living in these lands, the Ammonites, the Amorites, the Moabites, all of these. God said, I'm going to send them out ahead of you. I am going to remove them from you and make this land rich for you because these people are in sin. They are sinners, just as the Israelites are. The Israelites are really no better. They have just been chosen by God. And he is working on their behalf. As we get into chapter 22, we get introduced to our next big player in the game. And this is going to be the story that takes us. This story of Balak and Balaam, which you might know as Balak and Balaam, uh, just because I've heard Balaam and his donkey so many different times. Uh, But Balaam would probably be the way that they would have pronounced it during that time. Anytime you've got the double vowel, you'll hear the ah ah sound. Uh, so when you see B A A L, uh, it's not Baal, it's Baal. Uh, so that's a, a little tricky thing in language uh, that we don't generally do a whole lot in our Western culture, but it would have been common for them to have these double vowels and to pronounce them with a little bit of an, an apostrophe in between them uh, to give a little breath there. So Balak here in chapter 22 is worried. He's worried as he looks out and he sees a sea of Israelites approaching his territory. He's already, they've already taken, they've already violently overthrown and taken the land of two other kingdoms nearby. And this is not a good position for a king to be in. He's saying, we need to do something. He heard rumors that this band of Israelites traveling through the wilderness had escaped from Egypt by the hand of God. And so he says, well, I think it might be time to fight divine power with divine power. And so he calls up this guy, Balaam, and he is a confusing character. We know very, very little about him besides what we get here in the book of Numbers. We don't have much backstory. We don't know really where he's from, who he is, but we do see that this character, Balaam, is referred to, number one, as a diviner, okay? He's one who practices divination. 
one who practices divination should not be allowed to live. That's one of the commandments that we saw back in the giving of the law at Mount Sinai. So Balak sends his first wave of messengers to Balaam, and Balaam says, oh, I don't know what I can do. Let me go talk to the Lord. And this passage here uses the actual proper name of God, Yahweh. He says, lodge here tonight, and I will bring back word to you as Yahweh speaks to me. Now, is Balaam a worshiper of Yahweh? Or is he a divination artist who is now tapping into the word or the idea of Yahweh? Because he knows that's the God who these Israelites worship. That's a good question. We are not sure. We really don't know. What we do know is that God does speak to him. That God opens up to this divination artist, this one who is uh, tapping into the resources of God in an unauthorized way. It appears that Balaam is trying to do the will of Yahweh. So respectfully, he speaks to Yahweh and then goes back to this, this group of officials and tells them, hey folks, sorry you traveled so far. Um, I'm not going to be able to help you because Yahweh says that uh, that wilderness people that are coming for you, that they're blessed. And I I can't do anything to curse them. And that's what you want me to do, right? You want me to curse them? And they said, yeah, he wants you to curse them. He said, yeah, I'm not going to be able to curse them because he said I can't. And they said, okay. And they go back to their king and they tell Balak, hey, uh, uh, Balaam said he wasn't going to be able to curse them. And Balak is like, "Uh, excuse me, I'm king. I'm king, I have all the resources, I have all the money, and I have lots of swords too. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to go back and promise him wealth and riches and all of these good things, but make sure you wear your swords this time. And so Balak sends another group back and they come back to Balaam. And again, to Balaam's credit, he says, hey, I can't say anything that the Lord doesn't put in my mouth. Even if you were to give me your whole house full of gold and jewels and all the wealth in the world, I can't say a word unless it's been put in my mouth. And so chill here for tonight. I'll go talk to my God. Here, it actually makes it into his God. This is in verse 18. It says, Though Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, I could not go beyond the command of the Lord, Yahweh, my God, to do less or more. And so this gets even more personal with Balaam. It looks as though he's building in this relationship with Yahweh. And so, in the middle of the night, while he had the people staying there for another night, trying to seek out word from Yahweh, God came to him at the night and said, if the people are here to take you or to call you, rise and go with them, but only do what I tell you to do. And then something very odd happens here. Just in verse 20, it says, God says, if they came to call you, then go with them. But in verse 22, we see that God's anger is kindled against Balaam because he went with them, even though God had just said, go with them in verse 20. This has caused lots of confusion. There's lots of different opinions about it. I believe what's happening here is what we're going to see a little bit later on in the text, 
that Balaam is in this for the wrong motives. That he, even though he's talking a good game and saying that he wouldn't do it even if it was for a, a whole you know, treasure trove of gifts, that he very eagerly jumps along with them and is co- going in accepting the divination price and he's going to go and pl- and he's planning on doing his normal thing of blessing or cursing depending on who pays him the most but god needs to make sure along the way that balaam recognizes who's really the king who's really in control and so we get this story of the angel of the lord who by the way is Jesus here. Anytime we see the angel of the Lord proper, it is Jesus pre-incarnate. So we see Jesus along the road and this conversation with a donkey. Uh, This is a scene straight out of Shrek. Uh, Balaam is the Shrek character, and we got donkey here who is having a nice conversation with him. But it has such a great point, and we're actually going to get into it tomorrow. We're going to see how this all kind of pays off tomorrow, but this is the setup for the story. This donkey is more faithful than Balaam. This donkey is able to see spiritual reality more than this great diviner. Do you already see a little bit of the the issue that's going on here, right? As they're traveling along the road, angel of the Lord stands in the way, and the donkey is like, oh, I got to get out the way. I'm not going to go that way. Uh, He's got a sword in his hand, and, and that means don't go that way. This donkey turns off into the field, and she gets a, a whooping for it. And then the angel of the Lord moves a little bit further on into a narrow area and causes, you know, Balaam's foot to get stuck against the wall and the, and the donkey, and she gets beaten again. And then finally, the Lord totally stops, it, stops the donkey's way, and she just lays down right underneath him, and he loses it. He loses it, starts whooping her. And the great phrase here is in verse 28 of chapter 22. It says, Then the Lord, then Yahweh, opened the mouth of the donkey. And Balaam proceeds to have a full-blown conversation with his donkey, as if nothing strange is happening. She calls him to task for beating her, saying, I have been a good donkey to you. Why in the world are you whipping me? I was just trying to save your life because the angel of the Lord is standing up there in the middle of the road. And then Balaam's eyes are opened, and the angel of the Lord speaks directly to him and rebukes him for beating his donkey, number one, but also tells him exactly why he is upset with him and why he is stopping him. It says in verse 32, the angel of the Lord said to him, why have you struck your donkey these three times? Behold, I have come out to oppose you because your way is perverse before me or your way is reckless before me. Some translations have. Perversion and recklessness are the name of the game for this gentleman, Balaam. And so God is making certain that he recognizes the power of the God that he is about to speak for in chapter 23 and 24. And we're going to see those tomorrow. It is an absurd but amazing story that is going to paint a great picture because in this story, who's really acting stubborn like a donkey? Balaam is. The donkey is obedient and is listening to the word of the Lord. But Balaam is going to need a little more reminder 
And he's going to continue to need to hear from the Lord and be shaped and molded by him. And we will get into that tomorrow uh, as we continue to look at the story of Balak and Balaam and the oracles that he gives. Thank you for joining me today. I hope this has been encouraging to you. If so, please let me know by visiting the links that you find under the Connect With Us section in the show notes. I'm a simple man and I could use the encouragement. If you've been blessed enough that you would like to support the podcast, I would greatly appreciate that as well. You can go to buymeacoffee.com slash dbrpodcast to make either a one-time gift or to sign up for a monthly recurring membership gift. Until tomorrow, keep reading and keep worshiping.